This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Welcome to the weekend, everybody. We made it. School, first full week of school for my kids this week, so we're just kind of grinding through that piece of it, but they're doing great. I hope you guys are doing great, too. A lot to get to today, although a lot of it will focus on the two big sports in season right now in this market, the Vikings and the Twins. Vikings, We'll get to that in a little bit. Ben Gessling, who covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune, will join me. We were both out at TCO Performance Center in Egan on Thursday, just kind of gathering information, kind of checking in on, you know, kind of a large media access. It's kind of inside inside baseball or inside football, as it were. But, you know, Vikings kind of have a pretty set schedule of the media, and usually Wednesday is the big day of access. But, uh, because the because they play Monday night football this week, everybody's kind of everything's kind of pushed back. So I was out there yesterday, and you know had a chance to hear some interesting things from Kevin O'Connell, from Kirk Cousins. I'll use that um, in the midst of my discussion with Ben Gessling as well. But just an interesting opportunity for this team going into Monday night football off of that big opener against the Packers. Can they can they follow up on that? Can they? You know, this is a game where we, a lot of us were talking about this out at the media center uh, the other day. Is like. If they can win this game, there will be a certain buzz about this team that we maybe haven't felt for a few years because, you know, the last two years they've gotten, you know, they've fallen behind right away in the standings. I mean, you realize this is the first time, even at 1-0, this is the first time they've been over 500, that they've had a winning record since 2019 uh, just because of the poor starts they've had. They've been close to 500 each of those last two seasons. They've gotten back to 500 after slow starts. But this is the first time Justin Jefferson has been on a winning football team with the Vikings. That is a lot a lot to say, and it's just one game. I know that, but an opportunity at hand. So Ben and I will get to that in a little bit. Um, also have an interesting thought on uh, Gopher football, Nebraska football, and the big picture going forward. But first, what did I miss? Damn it. Um, I thought we were ready to move on from the Twins. I thought when they lost that series against Cleveland, we could just kind of have a clean break, that it was just kind of over. They were five back. Uh, I think it was four and a half after that series, but five when Cleveland won on Monday with 23 to play. And you just looked at it and you were like, no, you know, even with the remaining games they have left, even with the uh, you know the possibility, it just you just looked at it and you're like, no, this is not happening. The way that way the team was playing, it just didn't seem like they had anything left in the tank. Just fast forward a few days, and this team, which has been you know frustrating all year, but I think the best thing that you can say about the 2022 Twins is that they have been very resilient. You know, and sometimes resilience gets you know overrated and sometimes resilience takes the form of you're playing Kansas City instead of you know a first place team you're playing one of the teams that's down in the bottom of the division but kudos to the twins got to give them credit they got back up after that sweep at the hands of Cleveland and got themselves a sweep of their own over Kansas City had to fight for it on Thursday in that finale but three to two Used a lot of bullpen. Used a lot of a uh, lot, lot to a lot to get that one to the finish line. Joan Duran finishing that one off in the end had a little bit of a scare. Gave up a couple hits to start the ninth inning, but got out of a jam with a couple of big strikeouts. So 
They win that one. Cleveland loses on Thursday. So that lead back down to four now, going into a five-game series in Cleveland starting tonight. Um, twins throwing Bailey Ober tonight, by the way. If you remember, Bailey Ober was uh, you know, supposed to be a pretty big part of this rotation at the start of the year. Was, in fact, for a few months, and it was pitching relatively well, but was beset by injuries. He is all the way back, made a start for the Saints on Sunday, I believe. So this will kind of be his regular turn in the rotation, as it were. He's lined up for it. He's ready to go. So that is an interesting piece to it. Um, sounds like Saturday, the doubleheader. They can give the ball to Josh Winder and then to uh, and then to Louis Varland, perhaps, as the 29th man. So a lot of young arms being counted upon. But you know what? Young arms are fresh arms. Young arms are not, you know, not necessarily uh, not necessarily a bad thing when, when your other options may not be as talented. So bigger picture, like I said, is just when you think we can, you know, finish this thing off for good, just kind of say, nope, it was a it was a nice try. You had the lead in the division for a while. They're they're pulling us back in. They're pulling us back in at least for one more weekend. You got to pay attention just a little bit longer. The odds still aren't great, but Fangraphs has them back up to like 10% chance to make the playoffs now, which is better than 6% from a few days ago. You know, and those percentages kind of don't mean much, right? It's like, are you going to win or are you going to lose? It's just more of a, here's the probability of all of those things lining up. But if you look at a a five-game series against the team you're chasing and you're four games back, you have... You know, you have a a mathematical chance, a realistic mathematical path. If you sweep, obviously, you're going to be in first place. If you, um, you know, if you take four out of five, you're going to be one game back of Cleveland. You know, Chicago's going to have something to say about that. They could jump up in there too because they are right in there, right in there in that mix. Even if you win three and you come out of this three back, you're still kind of looking at it like, yeah, you know, maybe. You know, Cleveland's got some tough games still. Um, Twins have some forgiving games. they got to play Chicago a lot. A lot can happen. A lot can happen. So, you know, it's probably a good reminder that this team, we we can't fully say goodbye to them until they are mathematically eliminated because they have been quite resilient this season. The other piece I want to talk about quickly on this team that we kind of glossed over um, happened a few days ago. Major League Baseball implementing new rules for the 2023 season, including a pitch clock. Hallelujah! Um, and the, and a ban on the shift to a certain degree. You have to have, you know, two people on each side of uh, second base, two infielders on each side of second base, and you can't you get certain positioning as well. But the pitch clock is the one that I really think is going to be a game changer. And it was interesting. I read Megan Ryan's notebook on. Uh, it was in today's paper and online on Thursday about how some Twins pitchers are already kind of keeping keeping next year in mind and trying to work a little faster. And Sonny Grayson is absolutely helping him throw more strikes, pitch with pace, and that's what everybody wants to see, right? We don't want to see three-hour and 30-minute, nine-inning, four-to-three games. What we want is a crisply played ball game with balls put in play, with pitches thrown more quickly. That That's all we're asking for, just increase the action, speed up the time between pitches, make this less of a slog that baseball has become in recent years. So I think this has a chance to really help revitalize what what has been lacking in baseball. And I've been critical of Rob Manfred a lot of steps along the way in his tenure, but this is something he is absolutely getting right in addressing some of these modern baseball problems. So I'm excited to see how this works, and I'm excited to see how the Twins account for this as they plan going forward. 
MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I'm back with Ben Gessling, Star Tribune Vikings beat writer, of course. will be on Daily Delivery almost every Friday, I would imagine, during the season. And, uh... Ben, we're out here at Access for Vikings on Thursday afternoon. Normally, um, a lot of times Wednesday is a big day, but just a little different calendar today. So a lot of the big heavy hitters talking yep. today. Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, you know, Kevin O'Connell talks a lot during the week. But It's Thursday on your calendar, but because they play Monday night, it's Wednesday in the NFL calendar. Yes, it is. It's, it's not their Friday yet. Nope. Um, as, you, as you kind of think about this team, and we were talking about this even before we started recording, you know, they've... I think maybe they surprised some of us a little bit with how crisply they played, how just overall well they played. I think there's things they want to do better. But when you beat, the, when you beat Green Bay 23-7 and you largely are in control for most of the game, um, you feel pretty good about yourselves. Few of them, I think I think Kirk Cousins and maybe Dalvin Cook and even Kevin O'Connell talked about managing success. You win yeah. one game, it doesn't mean... A whole lot. What, what do you what do you think about that piece as you kind of think about this team? Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but at the same time, you think about the last two years. They start zero and three. I it was certainly I think they were zero and three, zero and four in twenty twenty, and a similar thing last year where you well, they were one and five at that one year yeah. before they yep. traded uh, Ngakwe. Yes, yeah, <laughs> in twenty twenty, I think that was because they yes. lost to Atlanta yes. and Atlanta just fired everybody. And then last year they kind of got off to I think they lost the first two and mm-hmm. then beat Seattle at home in the home opener and then lost the next week. But this is the first time they're over five hundred even since twenty nineteen. It, it's the first time Justin Jefferson has been in the building and they've had a winning record, record over five hundred. A winning yes. record, yeah, yes. Um, so it does mean something in the sense that you have a locker room that isn't coming into week two of the season feeling like, oh boy, we got to turn this thing around quickly, or what happened, or kind of how do we pick ourselves back up. It's a little bit of a different challenge because you are 1-0 and you got a division win against the team that has dominated the division for most of the past decade, certainly the last three years. So there is a little bit of a different challenge of saying, we need to enjoy this, take some confidence from it, but then just kind of move on from it because this is a tough environment they're going into. It's a tough situation on a Monday night against a team that was in the playoffs last year and, and has a lot of talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it because the last two years it was sort of this, they got themselves in a hole and you had to, probably take on a little bit of the persona of your defiant coach to say, yeah. see, we're not dead yet. Uh, and this and, a, is and a coach who was coaching for his job. Yes. Was, there, was a, yes. there was a desperation yep. almost from the jump in, if not certainly 2021, maybe both of those years. Yep, yep, there was. And I think you saw the tension build pretty quickly. I remember they lost that game, I think week three in 2020 against the Titans. There was kind of some Zimmer, Cousins press conference yeah, I remember that, yeah. Kind of one after the other a little bit. And then, you know, last year, Zimmer, I think in week three, or week four, they lose to the Browns, and he's coming out saying, well, you guys look at stats too much. Kevin Stefanski says we have a good team. And 
that's that. So you, we have a good team, and you should stop asking about things that would suggest that we don't. And the week after that was that you liked that game, was it not, against uh, the Lions? Yes. Well, yes. Yes, it was, because it looked like they were going to lose that, and yeah. then who knows what happens. They come back, and they, they have their... Uh, unusual sideline celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it had a different feel. Those first few wins had a different feel last year. And when you come out, this is a team that has a little bit more of a relaxed um, vibe about it in general. Yeah. I mean, it, teams take on the persona of their head coach. And I think Kevin O'Connell in year one is going to have a different approach to this than Mike Zimmer in year eight fighting for his job. And I, I think... It's a good thing and help them get off to a good start, but now you have to say, okay, we've got to move on, try to get the two and zero, uh, and try to try to keep building on what you built last week. One one thing I wanted to ask O'Connell today, kind of around on time, we got to time for two more a little faster than I thought we were going to today, but maybe I'm just going to ask you because you, I'm curious what you think of this because I have some thoughts on it. Like they. They've, they've had a lot, the players have had a lot thrown at them. This is a new scheme, new yep. coach, new way of doing things. There's a lot to digest on the offense. They looked really crisp in that first game, and I'm still curious like how far along they are in really understanding exactly what he wants them to do or how they, how they want them to do it. And are there going to be more clunky games along the way? Yeah, I think that it's certainly possible there will be because you haven't yet had a team that can watch your film and say, let's take these things away. Not only was it week one, and there's always unscouted stuff in week one, it was week one when you hadn't put any film out there in the preseason that would give anybody much of an idea of how you're going to use Justin Jefferson, how you're going to move Dalvin Cook, C.J. Ham, guys like that around. So now you have that, and certainly not everything is out there yet, but you are going to have a team in the Eagles now that can look at what you've done and scheme up ways to try to take some of that away and we we just have a little better sense of what they're going to be offensively than we did. So the challenge then becomes can we avoid the clunkers and avoid those moments where things don't work terribly well? And I think going on the road for the first time, it's a little bit different too. You're not going to have a quiet environment when your offense is trying to operate. You're not going to have necessarily the calm that maybe comes with that. You're on Monday Night Football yeah. in a loud building uh, with fans that like to make themselves heard and felt. And They're jerks. Uh, you can say it. I'll say well, it. You don't have to say it. I'll say it. Yeah, they, they are very... I spent a lot of time covering games, baseball more so, uh, when I lived out on the East Coast covering right. the Nationals. Right. I spent a lot of time in Philly the years that they were really good. Like yeah. the Jimmy Rollins, Jason sure. Worth, Chase Utley mm-hmm. teams. And... Those fans are, yeah, I mean, they have their tendencies where it gets a little over the top, but it is a rabid sports town. It yes. is very, very passionate fan base, and they, I think, believe in their ability to affect the game. They bring it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. they do. They, yeah. You will not have games where it's like, boy, this crowd's kind of subdued. <laughs> it's full, right. but it's not very loud. Right. Right? People say that about Lambeau Field sometimes, where right. it's, it's not that loud. Even though it's full, like you have fans that maybe aren't yeah. quite as rabid. Sure, that's not the case in no. Philly. No. They will bring it every single time, and that does, I think, have a little bit of an effect, just in the sense of, okay, it's Monday night. There's a different feel to that. And there's a different feel to when you're on the road. Um, it, it's just something that people have to manage. I mean, these are still human beings, and and you have to try to get through all of that. So. Yeah, I think it's possible there's some clunky elements to it. Um, 
trying to figure out how to win consistently on the road is, is going to be something they have to do because as we were talking about in Access Vikings, they have had a lot of these games over the years where they, mm-hmm. they go into a, we can make a statement on the road, and they haven't been able to do it. Right. And then they go win a game, like the playoff game in New Orleans, and it's say, see, we showed everybody, and nobody said we could do it. It's like, because the data has suggested that you can't. There's, <laughs> right. There have yeah. been enough of yeah. these times where you had the opportunity to do it that you couldn't take right. advantage of. Yeah. So everybody kind of starts to say, well, maybe they just can't do it. And that type of game... I, I think this is that type of game in some ways where you can make that type of a statement and um, it's a good opportunity for them to do that. And they can change the narrative yeah, yeah. to a certain degree. I, I thought one thing that was interesting from Thursday's sessions, it was a question from Judd Zolgad, Score North, it was a good question from him about, just to O'Connell about, yeah. um, you know, he, O'Connell kept raising the points of like, there's things we could differently, things we can clean up. And coaches speaking those cliches all the time. Even after a 50 to nothing win, a coach would say, yeah, "We got to go look at the film. There's things we could yeah. do better, things like that." But he he was being particularly, you know, a self a self assessment of things he could have done better. And I I thought that they left some points on the board against yeah. Green Bay. I thought that they you know maybe got a little conservative down near the goal line on some of those you know inside the ten a couple times. I want to play the the O'Connell audio first of what he had to say about just his own performance. It was just little things, even plays that were successful, you know, potentially when I got to certain things versus other times, um, you know, how I kind of managed some of the types of plays I was calling at certain times in the game where, you know, I I was kind of managing really our whole team, uh, but at the same time understanding that there's a lot of things that that I still wanted to call and uh, a lot of ops that maybe I left on the call sheet and a lot of, some of our coaches might say that that was a really smart thing and, and some might say that hey let's keep hitting the gas and going um, but ultimately every situation will be treated as its own you know having a feel for how our guys are playing in, in the three phases and then ultimately making decisions based upon whether we go for it or not play field position um, you know ultimately try to capitalize on points when we can we got a lot of confidence in our kicker and punter to either get points or play the field position game. So I feel like the decisions can really be met with as much data and analytics as, as we can require and need, uh, but at the same time have a feel for making those decisions as well. It's just kind of across the board and, and uh, we'll only improve with time. What did you think about just kind of how he handled the first game, whether it was you know the lead up to it or even especially in game and obviously we're not there inside the headset, yeah. but like the calls he made or how, how he navigated situational football. Yeah, overall, it was it was interesting because Adam Phelan talked after the game about I haven't been part of an offense that it was just attack, 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 keep attacking, keep attacking. Yes, there was some of that in the first half, but yeah, I would agree they probably got a little more conservative once they had the lead, and, and they certainly had some drives in the middle of that game where they weren't producing anything. No, not at all. Like the, the ones where they got blown up by Kenny Clark. Yeah. Like those are yeah. second drive, third drive, third drive. They're going nowhere, and that's where Green Bay could have reestablished yes. where it was in the game. Yeah, it, it was not the type of offensive performance where you'd sit there and say, well, we can't do any better than that. I, I do think there were things that they could have done a little bit better. It'll be interesting to see his fourth down process as we go through the year. The first one was like, nope, we're going. I'm not even worried about it. I'm not going to challenge that Adam Thielen call because I have this call I love. Then later on, he kicks a field goal in a short-yarded situation around the goal line. So I'm curious to see how that develops. And I'm just, it'll be interesting to see kind of his rhythm as a play caller. How much is he willing to keep his foot on the gas especially when you're up by two touchdowns and you can make it more. I, I thought you could argue they were a little conservative in some spots and and uh, 
as they continue to go, it'll be interesting to see how much of that evolves and how much of that is how he's going to approach it. Yeah, I think that's interesting too because I think for most of that game, and I was watching from home in this case, for most of that game, when I was thinking along with it, I was like, this makes sense. Like, yeah. Fourth and one, you, you opening drive of the game, you don't want to settle for a field goal. Yeah. That would feel like a letdown. Even if you don't get it, you know, they're at the four. When they kicked it, I still felt like I still felt okay about it. I felt like that was fourth and two. It's like if you don't get points on a drive that started at your own one, you're going to feel yeah. disappointed. Yeah, that's true. So it's just like it felt like he he thinks the game in a, in not just an analytical way, but in a in a a game kind of kind of a game flow way. Yeah. So I was interested to hear that he was critical of himself because I felt like he did do a pretty good job, but maybe he's just the kind of person who always wants to be better. Yeah, and I think it, it's certainly easy to, to come, I mean, you're not going to come out for week one and say, well, got it all, <laughs> got figured, it all out. figured out. We're good. Yeah, We're good. Nothing yeah. to improve here. But yeah, I, I think overall he has learned from you know, some pretty high-level coaches. I mean, you, you know, he, his first NFL experience was Bill Belichick, and I, I was talking to Matt Castle about that before the season, and Castle was kind of just talking about the indoctrination they would go through in New England, what they kind of got from Belichick, and so if that's your standard, yeah, that you're never really that impressed with yourself because there's always something else to learn. I think that's been impressed on him, and I think the way Sean McVay goes about things has been impressed on him, where it's there is always something else we can do to attack. There's some other thing we can find in a way a defense approaches things that we can use against them that I think is a lot of his approach as well. I, I think he wants to continue to find ways to be more efficient offensively, and, and that goes into play calling, that goes into matchups you're trying to exploit. I think there's always kind of that, that search for a more efficient offense that will come with it and, and the coaches that he's learned that from obviously have been two of the most successful in the NFL in this century. I mean Belichick certainly is yeah. is in a class of his own but Sean McVay having been to two Super Bowls already with two different quarterbacks having won one is forging a nice yeah legacy for himself as well. So if, you, if those are the types of people you're around I, I think that is certainly going to inform how you think and, and how you want to go about it and I, he certainly... I think has every intention of trying to put himself in that conversation. Is that one of the, it feels like that's one of the biggest kind of old school versus new school things that we're going to run into just in football and as, as people think about it. And certainly as we think about how O'Connell approaches it versus how Zimmer approaches it, like Zimmer was old school in a sense that a lot of what he liked was here's what we do well, we're going to line up and we're just going to try to do mm-hmm. it. Whereas, and not you know, they did some disguising, some double A gap blitz and stuff like that. It wasn't all just, you know, are 11 against your 11 and let the chips fall where they may with Zimmer for sure there was scheme there was other stuff but it feels like O'Connell is always searching for that little edge and you know maybe some of that gets overblown because they got guys like Justin Jefferson like they're just better yeah more, more talented so how much of yeah. it is scheme how much of it is players but it does feel like that's an interesting twist to how they're different now yeah and I think that may be and I'm generalizing a little bit here but <clears throat> that may be an offensive coach thing where it's okay. let's always go try to find the next cutting edge thing. Let's find something that we can adjust and enhance and adapt going forward. Whereas defensive coaches, you have to continue to adapt, but so much of defense is is reactive. Right, because it has to be. You don't start start with the ball. Yeah, it has to be, and there's also, you're thinking about offensive possessions through the lens of what does this do for a defense? What does this do for situational football? 
Um, how does special teams play into that in terms of field position? Whereas offensive coaches tend to be thinking more score, 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 you know, build a faster car, basically. Um, Defense is what to build a safer car. Yeah, that's probably true. I, I think that, I mean, not always, but I think with Zimmer that was certainly the case. Yeah. Um, let's just make sure. I mean, I remember when he first got hired, it was, if we don't beat ourselves, we'll win eight games every year simply because we are more efficient. We're not committing stupid penalties. We're not busting coverages. You're going to win eight times at least every year at a minimum if you are the more intelligent, more disciplined team. So it, that was a pretty big part of his, his ethos in general. And I think O'Connell, I, they pl- I thought, played fairly disciplined. I, I didn't think they had a lot of no. big mistakes on the, in terms of penalties or coverage busts. But, yeah, I think there's going to continue to be this effort to search for a little bit more and, and what else can we put in and, and enhance and, and evolve with the offense. A couple more things. One, um, one of the big kind of amusing questions and talkers out at Access on Thursday was the slime. Kevin yes. O'Connell got slimed after Justin Jefferson won uh, Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon gave out the Player yeah, of the Week the award. The MVP. The MVP, the Nickelodeon Valuable, valuable Player. player the... And it feels like it should be N. MVP, but anyway, we're it doesn't we're really gonna, roll off the. Time. I don't, I don't. We're not whatever. They can call the award whatever it is. He didn't. They didn't win any of the the, the official league awards. Yeah. So they got they got the Nickelodeon award. They decided, okay, Kevin O'Connor says you go and go ahead and dump the bucket of slime yeah. on me with which was Jefferson and, and who else got him? Uh, I'm trying to think who else did it. It was Jefferson for sure, and it, everybody got asked about. It. Everybody talked about. It. I'm gonna, yeah. I want to roll the the cousins audio because I thought that was the best. So let's hear that. I loved it. Uh, I've, I just, I mean, I have so much I could say about that if we got two minutes. Uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, we felt that Jordan and Justin had really strong games. Josh Metellus as well. We felt that, you know, there's a chance we could have had a clean sweep of uh, NFC, whatever you want to call it, players of the week. We went 0 for 3, but Nickelodeon gave us, uh, Nickelodeon gave us player of the week, gave Justin player of the week, and so... Uh, if Nickelodeon's going to recognize it, then we're going to recognize Nickelodeon. So Kevin said every single time that Nickelodeon gives us a uh, player of the week, uh, we're going to slime the coach, and uh, we're going to take a picture with the slime caps that Keenan and Justin had on. And uh, I was joking that hopefully by the end of the season, someone like Dalvin Cook is league MVP, but we don't even care because if Nickelodeon doesn't <laughs> recognize it or he's not invited to host the Teen Choice Awards or whatever it's called, then uh, then it doesn't even matter. So... Nickelodeon hopefully will be looking out for us all season long and uh, hopefully you know we can keep uh, putting some slime on coach again this is like one of those silly stories you get a few of them every year and it's just like this team building thing and people have a laugh about it to me though like the coach getting slimed like that's does that mean anything in the bigger picture like your your players watching your youngish head coach like take one like this is that is that like a thing I it certainly sends the message that I am willing to laugh at myself. Yeah. I mean, and you could see the look on his face, the video the Vikings put out of, you know, he, he's basically kind of sticking his arms out and says, okay, come on, bring it on. And you kind of see him laughing as Eric, this kind of laugh at myself smile, I guess, on his face as he gets slimed. Um, I, it, it's not something you would have seen Mike Zimmer do. I, I don't think. I mean, no. the, the closest thing I can think of like that with Zimmer is when he had a coach after his eye surgery. He had a coach with an eye patch, um, and he kind of talked about how there were some good 
zingers from players, you know, talking about him being a pirate or something. Sure. So those things where he can laugh at himself a little bit, I it, that's the closest parallel I can come up with. But I I don't think you would have seen something like that from him. And even to hear O'Connell talk about, we were hoping that Justin Jefferson would win NFL or NFC Offensive Player of the Week. You would not have heard that. I mean, that idea of I want my players to win individual awards because it helps their success, it helps their enjoyment of the job, and I care about that stuff, you would not have heard that either. And we so, know that because wasn't there something at the end of last year where Zimmer did not care about Jefferson, Jefferson breaking Randy Moss's record? Yeah. yeah, breaking a single-season team record for receiving yards. He said, I don't care about records, all I care about is wins. And I think that's probably true for the most part, but I, I think... O'Connell probably realizes these things don't have to be mutually exclusive, yeah. and he probably knows they're important to players. I mean, I think that's part of it is acknowledging in this day and age that individual accomplishments matter to your players because it helps their paycheck, it helps their their brand. All of those things are part of it now, and I think he probably is a little more open to that than Mike Zimmer would have been. Yeah. Last thought, and this was, you know, you, you talked about this at the beginning of the segment. I think it's absolutely true. Like, this is a game that, that has a chance to influence the narrative. Let's say we get to Tuesday morning and they've won this game and yeah. they're 2-0. and Or let's say they, they lose and let's say it's let's say it's a kind of a basic loss. Let's say they lose, like, you know, 30-23 to 23 or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like not – the sky doesn't cave in. Everybody plays okay, but Philadelphia's just better. Um, what do you think the narrative is about this team based on the potential outcomes that could happen in this game? Well, I think if they win – you're going to start to talk about, I mean, people are going to start to look ahead and say, okay, it's the Lions, and then it's the Saints in a neutral environment, then it's the Bears. You could rattle off some wins here and put yourself in a pretty good position in the NFC if you can do that. If they lose it, I I don't know that the sky will be falling or that the narrative about the team will change a whole lot simply because they're coming out and beating Green Bay. Yeah. I mean, we said it before the year. If you come out of these first two one-on-one, you'd be fairly happy with that. Right. I, I don't think... I would have expected them to come out 2-0 and when I look at those first two no. anyway right. because I, I think this is one of their tougher... This is probably their toughest road trip until Buffalo. Yeah, for sure. In November. I think that's true. So I don't know that it changes it a ton if they don't win. But, boy, if they do, you go into a primetime environment on mm-hmm. the road on a grass field. Mm-hmm. We have not seen Vikings teams of recent vintage excel in that in, with those conditions very often in recent years. So um, I think if they win and they're coming back home and you say, boy, it's the Lions week three, and then we go to London, there's a chance for this thing to start getting on a roll. So I, I think you're going to see people pretty excited if they come back 2-0. More to gain than there is to lose. When was the last I time you could say that, that about a Vikings team? Well, Ben, we'll do this again next week. Uh, looking forward to your coverage from Monday Night in Philly. Stay, uh, stay safe, safe travels, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Like we talked about Vikings play Monday night. I don't, you know, Jalen Hurts, the Eagles quarterback, I don't think we give him enough credit. I think Kevin O'Connell said that to a certain degree on, on a Thursday as well. He's, you know, he's got the scrambling ability. He's very tough to bring down as a runner. It's almost like a running back once he gets into space, but he's not just a single threat. He can throw the ball and he can throw the ball with accuracy. He has improved that significantly over the last couple of years. He can beat you in a lot of different ways. 
And that's going to be a real test for the Vikings. I know Aaron Rodgers was probably a bigger test just in terms of a pure passer, in terms of what he has accomplished. But Jalen Hurts will test a defense in a much different way. And that will be something the Vikings will have to contend with on Monday Night Football. Let us finish with the cooler. I thought Randy Johnson had an interesting um, college football insider um, today's paper and online. It's going to talk about Nebraska and how they felt the need to buy out Scott Frost, their head coach, buy out his contract. Um, if they would have waited just a few weeks, it would have been $7.5 million less. They wait till October 1st, but after they lost at home 45-42 to Georgia Southern over the weekend, they just had to do it right then and there. Um, they're 16, Frost was 16-31. and 31. I think he was 5-22 and 22 in one-score games. And they just decided they could not wait any longer. So what was interesting to me is just thinking about Scott Frost and what a disaster that was in Nebraska and thinking about our sports market and how, you know, they had, we had, we certainly had our share of clunkers over the years in terms of coaches. You think of like historically, you think of someone like Les Steckel and maybe you think of someone like Tim Brewster, but it has been a while since in this market, in a high-profile position, there was a true disaster of a head coach. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Uh, I don't want to like jinx that for all of you out there, but I'm just thinking about how, you know, in this market, especially right now, you got to feel pretty good about all of the people running these teams. You might, you, know, you might have like, you know, stylistic questions about some of the some of the some of the people in charge. Um, but by and large, if you look across the board, you can make a case that all of them are pretty good right now and certainly not in the disaster category like A. Scott Frost. That'll do it for today. Thank you so much for joining me here on Daily Delivery. Back at it again on Monday with Patrick Royce, kind of moving things around a little bit next week. A lot of the regular football content will be on Wednesday show, not Tuesday because of Monday Night Football, but I'm sure we will talk plenty about Monday Night Football on Tuesday as well. Have a great weekend. Back at it again on Monday. 